The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'm doing my friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. Half full versus half empty. You can apply that lens to everything in this market these days where the Dow shed 97 points. All they have to be inched up 0.17%, and then as that game, 0.37%. You literally can see the whole tug of war play out today in the absence of one stock, Apple. After word leaked out to Bloomberg that it canceled its 10-year project to develop an electric car. The stock had been trending down, off about a half a point, when the news broke instantly. First, Apple plummeted another half dollar. I mean, it was incredible. Which is a lot for this lumbering big cap stock. A real statement from the glass half-empty crowd. But then, boom, it was off to the races. The stock pirouetting and then soaring higher, punching through a key level of support, 179.56, all the way up to $182.63. A stunning reversal. Glass half full contingent wanted in. Why? I think it's because it dawned on these optimistic realists that Apple's embracing efficiency, where projects that are going nowhere get shuttered, especially now that they need to invest in generative AI. I know I'd rather invest in AI than EV any day of the week. And a year of efficiency invokes Mark Zuckerberg's view before a monster run for Meta, even as I believe that Apple would find that particular comparison odious. The market for electric cars has paused, or worse, as we don't have cars that can be charged as quickly as we can fill up a proverbial gas tank. And we have range anxiety. Without that charging infrastructure, Apple could be making a product without a market, especially one that is a high-priced car without a market. Now, I want to contrast that with Vision Pro, which I know is expensive, but bear with me for a second. I think that's going to have a larger market as more people develop software for it. The thing's a winner, and not just from the early adopter set. Go try it on. I love it. Or take the brand-new Apple Sports app, Sleek. Fast, cool, quick updates, ongoing odds, tote board-like. The more programming they can put on that site and not slow it down, the more you'll want to download it and maybe ultimately pay for it. Right now, it's free. That app could be the gateway to sports for, uh, let's say, 
for a, a, a device that really doesn't have enough sports. How about that? Let's not complicate things. And it's certainly more important than an electric car. Now, I'm not against electric cars, and I think we need to be sure that we're going in that direction ultimately. But if you're Apple, you got better uses for that money right now. While I think of the big bursts higher what, that have happened in this market, or particularly in the Magnificent Seven, I go back to Amazon, which figured out how to do more with less to get you the package cheaper and quicker. But hey, it's a lot of same day these days, don't you think? I think about Meta. Yes, glorious Meta. With its gigantic layoffs and recognition that you need to give yourself a return on investment for everything. Sure, Mark Zuckerberg's still out there trying to make the metaverse into something, but he's making progress as Meta's Ray-Ban smart glasses are selling out. Everything is firing on all cylinders there. With fewer people. The right fewer people. As for Apple, we have no idea what other big things it's working on, so it's hard to say what's efficient for them. But I think they're smart to shift that money from EVs to AI. AI can help make your cell phones autocorrect a lot less irritating. Artificial intelligence has synergy with everything else they make, whereas electric car would be its own separate thing in a market where they have zero exposure. I can do without that, speaking of efficiency. What we really want to see, you and I know where I'm going on this, too, is some sort of order at Google. You know what? I don't even want to call it Alphabet anymore because, heck, they never change the symbol and no one else does. I'm the only guy I think who calls it out. I bet you there they don't call it Alphabet. Here's something to ponder. How many divisions, how many outposts, how many warrants are buried in the sprawling Google intellectual playground? First, uh, let me bet. You've been fooling around with your Fitbit Charge 6 tracker, haven't you, for $159.95. Is this tracker, is this the one you want Google wasting its time on? Give me a Garmin. Truly a great use of brain power, isn't it? What a crackerjack acquisition. It's a needle bender. Let me just check on my phone to see if I can find out exactly on my watch. Oh, there it is. Fitness audio workout. Oh, no, those belong to Apple. I'm sorry. Or how about this? Google had at one time two different competitive health initiatives going on. I, I not kidding. They started one in 2018 that was run by David Feinberg, who's actually a true healthcare genius, who then moved on to Cerner when Google dissolved his division. Why not? They already had a business called Verily devoted to health and life sciences. Two different divisions for health and life sciences at one company? I mean, what is that novel? It's Survivor. It's Google. Survivor and Google Island. Make Jeff Probst CEO. He ain't got nothing for the losing divisions. Hey, speaking of losing divisions, how's that Waymo doing? Is Google's self-driving car better than you know, GM's? And I took a nice ride in before I shut it down. I know it's back. Big deal. Look, I believe self-driving cars are the way of the future. I think everything's the way of the future. It's easy to say that than to say it isn't. I'm a Luddite. I think electric cars are the way of the future. But they're not the way of the present. And while it'd be a shame to see Waymo have a fiasco like GM's cruise had, it shows us that there are real safety issues that haven't been resolved for driverless cars and not just black ice. How much money has been spent on Waymo? How much more will be spent? The lousy performance of Google is indeed the talk of the town. We know its price earnings multiple is just a, it, it's a, it, it, it's a laugher. It's the lowest of the Magnificent Seven. For a reason, it might be the worst one. We know that its efforts in artificial intelligence have been, let's just say, episodic. But Google's biggest fiasco was taking over the NFL Sunday ticket package, burying it in YouTube TV, and then doing absolutely nothing to monetize the darn thing as it could have been. They, they went as far as running cat pictures in the fourth quarter commercials when all of us were doing daily fantasy. I'm not kidding. We're all doing daily fantasy or playing fantasy, and they're running pictures of cats. Cats! And I like cats. I was once pre a cat shell spokesman for about 30 seconds. You have, I mean, we had some of the most valuable advertising real estate in the world, fourth quarter, where every fantasy player's waited with bated breath, and they run pictures of kittens. 
Google bought this property and they provided no analytics, no gambling ads, no creative daily fantasy, nothing. And now they don't even know how they did on it. They took one of the greatest franchises in the world to swoop out there with nothing. No fanfare, no cool stuff like they gave you on Amazon. I mean, Amazon's got some really cool web services and stuff. No adjacent programming. They bought it and they deep six it as if it were doomed to fail instead of embracing it and promoting it. Heaven forbid they gave us the breakdown of how it's really doing. Profit and loss. But that's not their style either. Who is this Google that made it so that we now use Copilot instead of Google Search all the time? Who is this Google with so many divisions and so many money losers that you feel like you're investing in some sort of black box with a license to lose money? Double O zero. I mean, there has to be some point where management pushes through a year of efficiency and we finally find out how many different divisions, how many layers they have that aren't producing anything. And how many valuable franchises they have, like the NFL Sunday ticket, that are just lying fallow. Here's the unvarnished truth about Google that no one ever wants to say because they're afraid. Its stock would be dramatically higher if it would just do what Apple did today, according to Bloomberg. They justify everything there by saying it is justified. I'm not kidding. It's justified because, well, it's justified at Google. You know what that's called? That's called circular reason. I've been a backer of Google from the day it came public. It's all on the record. You can see it. The day, the day it came public, I said it was worth double, triple. I mean, I, I, I knew. However, this weekend at the CNBC Investing Club conference, I broke the taboo and said, you know what? I have no idea who they are anymore. Alphabet, Google, cloud services, changes its name without telling anyone. Drones, the balloons. Remember them? The Fitbit, the advertising business that's not as good as Trade Desk and now, heaven forbid, Pubmatic. Plus a self-driving business that may never see the light of day. Not to mention a search business that's increasingly under assault from generative AI and a bunch of lawsuits, too. A lot of lawsuits. They're really good. They don't wear suits, but they got lawsuits. The real problem is that the people running Google don't seem to know who they are either. They don't need a year of living efficiency. They need a year of living dangerously. Dangerously for the thousands upon thousands of employees and myriad projects that might just be described as dead wood in another era. Here's the bottom line. It's time for Google, Alphabet, whatever, I don't even care, to stop running as a skunk works for all sorts of ideas that may or may not work and start focusing on actually making some money. Hmm. Otherwise, let's just say I smell a skunk. Daniel, New Jersey. Daniel. Hey, Jim, it's an honor. Um, I've been following you and listening to you for 19 years. You're the only person at Wall Street teaching the small guy. So truly an honor and appreciate you. Oh, thank you, Daniel. You know, I mean, sometimes I get hard on companies, but yeah, we're trying to help people make money. I'm trying to teach. I like it. I'm looking at Regina Gilgan. She was at my conference this weekend for the investing conference. We're trying to teach. That's what we're doing. I and mean, when you said 19 years, that's what made me think of Regina, because that's how long we've been together. How can I help you? Uh, yes, sir. So um, I have an energy play. Market cap is phenomenal at $49 billion. P.E. ratio at 13.47. Makes money, like you say, uh, $1.09 per, uh, per share. Operates natural gas pipeline storage and transportation. I'm wondering if this is a good investment or if you would recommend something else. It's ET, energy transfer. Oh, I like ET a lot. I like Enterprise, too, but I like ET a lot. And I think that, you know what, Kelsey Warren, I was critical because I didn't like some of the uh, deals that he made. Everything worked out, and he is welcome anytime on the show. Kelsey, I was tough. I've relented, and I've liked your stock for a while. It's time to come back. All right, look. It's time for Alphabet. Where's the Alphabet soup? The Campbell soup? Do we have that? Oh, that's another stock that's kind of flatlined. But listen to me. Alphabet's got to stop running as the skunk works for all sorts of ideas. And just focusing on ma- making money. Or I'm voting them off Alphabet Island. 
On Mad Money tonight, Zoom has been in a tough spot ever since it became a market darling in 2020. After putting a strong quarter last night, is this the turn we've been waiting for? Hey, what do you check? Let's check him with the CFO. Then, could one thing Gibson 7 name be responsible for dragging down the averages? I'm going off the charts to see what the technicals are saying about the future. And then let's remember, hims and hers. Whoa. <laughs> it's escaped the doghouse with a strong quarter. I'm learning more about the story with the CEO. And I got to tell you, this one is one for the book. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's it going to take for the stock of Zoom video to get its groove back? It's now been four years since the pandemic changed our lives, forcing people to work from home and turning Zoom into a household name. But after surging in 2020, the stock spent the next couple of years getting pulverized as the world returned to normal. Didn't help they started facing some real competition from heavy hitters like Microsoft, Salesforce. For the last year, this stock's been bouncing around between the low 60s and the mid-70s. But last night, Zoom reported a terrific quarter, a sizable top and bottom line beat, and a strong full-year earnings forecast, even as the revenue guidance came in a tad light. On top of that, management rolled out a $1.5 billion buyback, which is pretty significant for a $20 billion company. No wonder the stock shot up 8% today. So could this be the beginning of a turnaround? Hey, let's check in with Kelly Stackelberg. She's the CFO of Zoom Video Communications to get a better read on the quarter and what comes next Ms. Steckelberg welcome back to Man Money Hi Jim thanks for having me oh, great I'm so, to see I'm, you I'm so glad you're here because I felt that there was so much to your beat I thought that this was one of those numbers Kelly that could be the beginning of something big but I want you to walk us through what led to the beat because it's pretty significant yeah so we were very pleased with our Cooper results as you highlighted we announced revenue of a little bit over $1.14 billion, which was ahead of our guidance. We also had very strong operating margins of 38.7%. And our free cash flow was up over 80% year over year at $333 million. And that was a result of a lot of hard work this year, focusing on expanding the platform, momentum in Zoom phone. You know, we're starting to see a lot of great wins with Contact Center, also WorkVivo. 
and stabilization in our online segment. So all of that led to a really positive result for the quarter. Well, I mean, yeah, I think people, some people just don't even bother to open the deck of your company. I saw this, which really was exciting to me. Customer traction highlights the appeal of our AI and customer experience solutions. Broadcom is a remarkably tough and good company, Hawk 10. Diageo, worldwide liquor company. Can you kind of give me a sense of what these companies are doing with Zoom that makes it so that there's really some traction here? Yeah, so as you said, Broadcom was a brand new customer win for the quarter, so thrilled to have them joining the Zoom family. They bought our Zoom One bundle, which includes not only meetings, but also team chat and phone. So I think what they recognize is the total cost of ownership coupled with the amazing ease of use and reliability you get from the, from the platform. And as you mentioned, they're very focused on total cost of ownership, so this is a great solution for them. And then Diageo has been a great customer of ours using both meetings and phone for several years now. They expanded into Zoom Contact Center as well as Zoom Virtual Agent. So, you know, they've seen how we've transformed their meetings and their phone experiences and now are ready to leverage that into Contact Center and our virtual agent. Well, it seems um, seems like a natural. Now, uh, the decision to to make that giant repurchase, how are you going to do it? It's not not an accelerated kind. You're just going to be there on days when people just don't think the company's doing as well? Because, you know, we all know that you have a lot. You have $7 million in cash. I mean, huge amount of cash. You're an incredibly conservative company, which I like in uncertain times. But this this buyback could be very uh, very significant for a company like Zoom. Yeah. So... First and foremost, our priority is investing for top line growth at Zoom. Right. So that means you know organic through expansion platform and go to market, but also potentially inorganic. However, as you just highlighted, given the strength in our balance sheet with $7 billion in cash and no debt, we feel and we also guided that we expect to generate free cash flow in FY25 of approximately $1.4 billion right. again. So that gives us a lot of flexibility that we can do both meaning we can continue to look for opportunities to either accelerate development through tech tuck-ins or do potentially something more transformative, while also now providing returns to our shareholders by executing this buyback. And as you said, it will be done in a very measured way throughout the year. We will look for opportunities. We, we set up a buying program every quarter. So we look at where the market conditions are, and that's how we decide how we're going to execute this through the year. Now, Kelly, you did use the word transformative. You're telling me if something really big came along, you might want to use some of that cash hoard to make your company more relevant, uh, say, for AI at this point, something like that? You know, we look for inorganic opportunities across the whole stack. It might make sense to add something where we're already investing to potentially, you know, accelerate that. Could be contact center, could be AI. We also look at opportunities that sit next to us. Like I think WorkVivo is a perfect example of an acquisition that wasn't already in our core, but has been a great addition to our platform and portfolio. Okay, so today uh, was one of those days where my my PC is in HP was slow, which means they want you to turn it off and put it back on. And sure enough, what happens? Uh, they must have known I was going to interview. They it opens up to a uh, to Teams. It then gives me three separate pages for Teams. I don't want those pages. I use Zoom, and I want to go right to where my PC is. But now that's not antitrust, I guess. That's just what they can do, huh? Yeah. So 
what we hear from our customers all the time is they love Zoom, right? They want to use Zoom. As you just indicated, you're one of those. Nobody loves Teams. They they get sort of <laughs> forced into this situation sometimes based on other decisions. Um, but we're really focused on continuing to provide a platform that provides limitless human connection. And by continuing to innovate and provide great products to our customers at an amazing total cost of ownership. And by that way, we're just going to continue to solidify their love. All right. Well, the most important reason why I use Zoom and many others, it started with remote work. What is the state of remote work in this country right now? Yeah. So we have customers that are fully remote still. They've chosen that as a way of working because of the flexibility it provides to their customers and frankly, potentially on the savings that they're seeing. They've made it work all the way we have customers that are fully back in the office and then a lot that are somewhere in between in a a hybrid or potentially a structured hybrid approach. The great thing is that Zoom has tools to support them no matter where they are in that work journey. We have, of course, the meetings platform that everyone has known to grow and love. We've expanded with phone, with contact center, and then we have an amazing rooms and events offerings as well. We also have expanded recently into like workspace reservation so that you can reserve your desk in the office and we know you're coming in for lunch, for example. So really working on expanding a platform that meets these customers no matter how they're embracing their employees' work style. Well, I got to tell you, Kelly, first of all, I'm thrilled you came on today because this is a very positive day for Zoom. Second, I listened to all those things, and I think people have to refresh their view of Zoom. They look at some 2% revenue growth number versus, say, 17 for Workday, and they decide that that's the future. Maybe that's the past. I think there's a lot of good things happening here, and I'm thrilled that Kelly Stuckelberg, Zoom video CFO, came on the show. And I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. It was great to see you. Absolutely. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, own it, don't trade it, but do chart it. Kramer checks in on Apple's trajectory next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. do with this market now that its incredible recent run has cooled off a bit with the S&P 500 parking above 5,000. The average have gotten a major boost from earnings season, but you got to ask yourself, how long can this last? And plus, given that we've got this surprisingly resilient economy, the Federal Reserve is a lot less likely to swoop in with a series of aggressive rate cuts, something many portfolio managers were frankly betting on. Put it all together, we got this really bizarre situation with little in the way of precedent. Normally, you'd expect the stock market to be in real bad shape after the Fed takes up short rates by more than five percentage points. Yet, the market's doing great because the underlying economy hasn't suffered much. And so many terrific companies keep coming up with revolutionary new products. 
just an unusual market all around, isn't it? It's so hard to get your bearings. I find the same thing. I'm looking at the tape each morning and saying, what's going to happen today? So that's why tonight we're going to go off the charts with the help of Jessica Inskip. That's right. She's the first woman on Trader Desk at Fidelity. She's now the director of product and education at Options Play. And she's also the co-host of the Market Make Her podcast. Instant's got a real good track record of late with us. She pretty much called the bottom in the averages in late October, right as it was happening. And in mid-January, we went back to her, and she told us we should expect a good year in 2024, even if there might be some turbulence in the spring. And if you go back to that point, a lot of people were very worried that we were going to have a big sell-off. Since then, the averages have indeed caught fire, and while she's not ready to go negative, she's actually feeling like the tech-heavy Nasdaq 100 could be, could be losing steam. Now, that'd be a serious problem because tech has once again become the most important leadership group in the market. It's about 25% of the market, frankly. So take a look at the weekly chart of the NASDAQ 100. That's the index that's made from the 100 largest non-financial companies in the NASDAQ composite. Inskip points out that the NDX is still in a bullish trading cycle. You can see it's going up, right? But she sees the trend losing strength. What does she mean by bullish trading cycle? Okay, Inskip likes to look at the 13-week, look at all these different moving averages, okay? The 26-week and the 40-week, because averages, uh, but they, because the 13-week translates into a quarter, right? 13 weeks. And a quarter is our baseline unit of time for evaluating anything in this business. Right now, the 13-week, 26-week, and 40-week moving averages are all sloping upwards. I don't know what she's worried about here. However... Inskip notes that when you look at the Bollinger Bands, and I know it might be hard to see, but that's this John Bollinger came up. They're really good. You can see uh, that that's the encasing these things. How about that? That's an important volatility indicator. The bands are these purple lines above and below the price action. You can see that NASDAQ 100 is no longer hugging those bands, which was what it was doing. She, She says that often happens when a rally's fading and, and a stock or an index is about to start trading sideways. By the way, I'm a sideways guy, but some people just say, oh, I don't want anything to do that if it's just going sideways. As Inskip sees it, the NASDAQ 100 has a floor support at the 13-week moving average, which currently stands at 17.180, okay? Let's call that right, right, right there, all right? And, but that's nearly 800 points from here. That's a big decline. Uh, in general, this is still a positive chart. But Inskip's keeping an eye on the moving average convergence-divergence line, or the MACD. That's down at the bottom, okay? Uh, that's a key momentum indicator. If the index makes a new high while the MACD makes a lower high, well, that's bad. That says we could be looking at the top. We're not there yet, but it's something we should definitely watch for. Next, check out the weekly chart of the S&P 500. Now, Inskip says that this is a little simpler. The S&P is also in a bullish trading cycle, and in general, this is a much more positive chart to be looked at before, because it's made what's known as an engulfing candle pattern, engulfing candle. And that's where the candlestick has a higher high and lower lows, but ultimately we finish the period up, okay, in the black, so to speak. To Inskip, it means that the rally is likely to continue. At the same time, the S&P blew through a ceiling at the 138.2% Fibonacci resistance. Remember, we just covered that the other day, how these things are resistance levels. Uh, And that's now become a new floor of support. That's a floor at 5033, down almost 50 points from here. If it keeps climbing, the next key Fibonacci resistance level will be 5296. Nice, huh? That'd be a fantastic game. However, Inskip is adamant that the S&P depends on the NASDAQ 100. 
because this rally can't keep going without participation from tech. And we saw what she saw just now about the NASDAQ 100. All right, now how about the S&P 500, but in an equal weighted fashion, which measures all 500 components the same, instead of weighing them by market cap. This is a great way to sense the breadth of the market without outsized influence of the mega caps. Take a look at the weekly chart here. The Inscript uh, says the S&P equal weight recent strength shows clear signs of broader participation. That's very good. The index is now running up a ceiling of, of 6558, and that's where it made, it's made a lower high in January of 2022 when the market had just started rolling over. As Inscript sees it, the S&P equal weight needs to clear the hurdle before the normal S&P 500 can start making highs again. We've got to clear this. She wants to see the equal weight close above 6558, okay, a weekly basis before she's willing to pound the table. But luckily, that's up only a few points from where it's currently trading. Finally, let's address the weekly chart of the second largest company in the world, at least by market capitalization. Let's talk Apple. Now, you know I always say the same thing. I say, own Apple, don't trade it. Instagram says, own it, don't trade it, but do chart it. Inscript's concerned about Apple's impact on the NASDAQ 100 and the SP 500 because it's such a large component of both indices. Makes sense. She's worried because she thinks Apple's in a consolidation mode and could be at risk of, a, of falling into a bearish trading cycle as the 13-week moving average is now sloping lower. 13, okay, see this? This is what she's most worried about. That's sloping lower. 26 and 40 weeks moving average, they're flattening out. But we can't have this breakdown there. We just can't. The good news is can points out that Apple does have a nice floor support at $180. Okay, 180.42. That's where it made a weekly high on January 3rd of 2022, by the way, uh, right before the tech bear market crushed us. The bad news, the stock's only about two bucks above that floor. If it breaks down, Inscript says there's another floor support at $174.44. But Apple drops below that level, she'd start to get pretty concerned. And by the way, Right before they announced that they're, they're going to get out of the car business, this thing was threatening with this level. So let's understand it's like a magnet. In the end, Inscript sees a market with a lot of moving parts. The NASDAQ 100 appears to be losing, losing momentum. And she says it's only natural for it to pull back after such a strong rally. The S&P 500's roared too. Whether it can keep going, uh, keep running higher, comes down to the regular components, which you can see it, 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 in the S&P equal weight and the mega caps like Apple. Right now, the equal weight's showing strong signs of breath, but it needs to rally a little bit before she feels really bullish. At the same time, she's watching Apple like a hawk, because if Apple breaks down below 174 and change, it's so big that it could throw off the major averages. Here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Jessica Inskip, could go either way which is why she says to focus on the SP equal weight, breaking out a few more points to the upside or Apple holding above its key floor support. If both of these happen, we're in paradise. But if the equal weight weight stagnates while Apple pulls back hard, she thinks the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100 could be due for a pullback. And remember, again, she was adamant that we were going to have a big rally at the beginning of the year. So she's not idle. Okay, let's go to Dan in Illinois, please. Dan. Hey, Jim. I want to get your opinion on a infrastructure stock, one that you don't hear very often. They reported earnings last night. The name of the company is Sterling Infrastructure. The symbol is STRL. It operates in three segments. Infrastructure, of course, which includes data centers, warehouses. That takes up about 45% of the revenue. 
Transportation. They work in highways, airports, rail, storm drainage. Mm -hmm. And lastly, building solutions, uh, concrete, parking lots, etc. Well, I got to tell you, I think think you have a winner here, Dan. Um, But I... It's frustrating to me. I have an infrastructure stock for the, for the Chapel Trust. I wish I had five of them. What can I say? I said that this weekend at the investing club. These are the stocks to own. And as far as I'm concerned, yours looks as good as the others, uh, if not better. So I say good work by you. Our, re- our viewers are very, I said our readers because they used to just, I used to work at thestreet.com where it was just readers. Our viewers are doing a terrific job putting great ideas in front of me. Keep them coming. The charts interpreted by Jessica Inskip are a toss-up right now. And she's looking at a couple key names like Apple and the equal-weighted S&P to see which direction this market could go. If both charts hold up and even break out the new highs, then this thing can keep rolling. But if they reverse course, then we could be in store for a real pullback. Much more made money ahead, including my exclusive with hims and hers. Rocketing over 30% higher today after earnings out of here, what that's about. Then another big mover, Viking Therapeutics, soared over 100% on positive results for its weight loss drug. But I think this is an important lesson on how to handle your winners. I'm sharing what I would do with the stock. And of course, Oiler Calls Rapid Fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Hims and hers health run up 31% today, one of the best performers in the entire market. You've probably seen the ads for this online health play that lets you speak to doctors online and subscribe to fill your prescriptions for drugs, help you with skin or baldness, mental health, weight loss, or whatever we now euphemistically call sexual health. Hims and hers came public via SPAC merger a few years. Yeah, I guess a couple years ago, yes. And like so many other SPACs, it got annihilated in 2021 and 2022. Even less than five months ago, it was still trading at just $5 and change. But since then, it's been screaming higher. First, the stock nearly doubled earlier this month. Then it lacked a tackle on another huge move. Uh, today, after the company reported a magnificent quarter last night, management issued a terrific full-year forecast. Could this be one of those rare post-SPAC stories that blossom into a high-quality company? Let's take a close look with Andrew Dudum. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Hims and Hers. Mr. Dudum, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks for having me. Well, look, I got to tell you, uh, this was some quarter, and this is your first time on. So why don't you just give us a basic overview of your platform and the health services and what's the value proposition for customers versus, say, some of the others that are out there? Yeah. So Hims and Hers is simple. We help people get access to world-class care from the comfort of their home. They can pick up their phone while sitting on their couch, talk to a licensed provider, get a personalized medicine, and have that delivered to their door in just a couple of days for somewhere between $30 to $50. So it's mass market, it's affordable, it's clinical excellence, and, and it's going after the things that people really care about. You're talking about categories like weight loss and mental health and dermatology and sexual health, like you mentioned. These are some of the categories that are the most emotionally resonant categories to people. When they wake up in the morning, it really drives how their day goes. And we're helping them take on those challenges and get them personalized care for them. Let's talk about that. I find that a lot of the areas that you talked about, your product roadmap, you're gutsy. I mean, a lot of people don't want to talk about them. They're uncomfortable. Yet they really do want to talk to a doctor. It's just they don't want to talk to other people about it. Is is that how you kind of how do you pick out the categories to emphasize? 
You know, in the, in the core specialties we offer, there are over 100 million people struggling in this country, right? So they are massive. Every household in the country is struggling with one of the categories such as weight loss, sexual health, dermatology, mental health. And what we're doing is breaking down barriers to get access. That could be making it more affordable. It could be removing stigmas, like you mentioned, making people understand that these things are common and normal. It could be educating them that there are personalized treatments we can we can make and manufacture for them that actually work. And ultimately what that is doing is bringing a lot more people into the market. We disclosed in this past quarter that revenue is growing very robustly. We're taking massive share both from peers and also bringing new people into the market. And it's because of that barrier breaking that that's the result. And of. the new people progression is really quite stunning in terms of how many you've added, just say, in the last 18 months. That's right. We are over uh, 1.5 million subscribers on the platform. And I think what's really interesting about this, Jim, you're talking about a healthcare industry that is $4 trillion and that has truly yet to be disrupted by modern consumer care. And what I mean by that is customers can't pick up their phone, get access to price transparency and choice, and then make selections. And that's exactly what we're offering. And so when I see 1.5 million subscribers on the platform today, what gets me excited is adding 10 or 20 million subscribers to the platform because I really believe in this $4 trillion healthcare market, the majority of customers are going to be going through a platform like Hims and Hers in the future. It's just better. It's better care. It's more affordable and people love it. Someone told me today, oh, Jim, don't emphasize those guys. That All they do is they send you to GLP-1s. So I went on. I went on weight loss. I put on my numbers. There were about 25 questions I had to ask. That's okay. You should ask 25 questions. It shouldn't just be like in the waiting office where you check your weight. And then they sent me to Metformin. Now, I don't know metformin. I know people take it. It is a wonder drug. But what would happen if I said, you know what, I don't want metformin. I want GLP. I mean, they would I then be speaking to a physician and they might say that metformin is better for me, given my profile. You know, that's the beauty of the platform is you can have real conversations with real specialists. So within a minute, you can connect on your phone, get access to a specialist that's licensed in your state, and then have a real conversation and have and have a discussion about the pros and cons of different options. This is one of the hard things about healthcare today for customers is you go and you get prescribed whatever they give you. And the reality is, is with Google today and the internet today, people want to have choice and they want to be a part of that conversation and part of that, that, that discussion. And with the personalized infrastructure that we built, which allows us to prescribe and manufacture and compound different medications at different dosages for your specific needs, it gives customers that ultimate choice. And you're making some, you're, speaking of choice, you're making some tough choices about what to try to cover. I know you're targeting PTSD, insomnia, substance abuse. I know these are undercovered areas because they're so tough, but you don't care. You're going after the That's toughest right. ones, right? You got to go straight for the toughest ones. And, and we know these customers exist. That's why I think we're so excited by the robustness of this year. We put out guidance just yesterday of over a billion in revenue this year and net income positive. So a full year of profitability. And the momentum is driven by these tough categories, right? Solving the hard problems with technology, with pharmacy operations to deliver great clinical experiences to the masses at very affordable prices. Well, I got to hand it to you. I mean, it, it's uh it's something I think people should check out. I checked it out. I just, geez, these guys are, it's a rigorous process that you have. It's not just some mill. It's not a health mill. It's a rigorous process. I'm going to thank Andrew Dudem. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Hims and Hers, H-I-M-S, for coming on. It's great to have you on the show, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jim. Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls. And the sky's the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next.
before we get to the lightning round, I need to let you all know how fired up I am still about the investing club's annual meeting this past Saturday. On top of my state of the market, member Q&A, and talking about the club's portfolio, we had a special segment going through the history of mad money with our own very special executive producer, Regina Gilgan. She was on stage with me, sharing some behind-the-scenes secrets and stories for almost two decades of the show for the first time ever. I should go behind the scenes with this limited-time offer to the club. Catch the highlights or the whole meeting on demand. Here's what you need to do. Just scan this code or go to cnbc.com slash flash sale to learn more. And now it is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Here's as much over Dean Ohio. Dean. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Dean? Good. I, uh, I'm a charter member of the investment club. Still with you. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for being there. Thank you. Yeah. Well, my... <clears throat> My stock, uh, my company started out as a real estate investment trust. It is now a profitable global alternative asset manager. The name of the company is Digital Bridge Group. Yeah, I remember what it was, the real estate investment trust. I wanted them to do exactly what they're doing. You're quite right, and it's a good stock. Our viewers are so smart. It's a really good call by you. I thought about them the other day because I was in Boca. Let's go to Dennis in South Carolina. Dennis. Hey, Jim. Booyah. I'm a long booyah, time, Dennis. first time. Excellent. South Carolina. I'm calling about one of the largest food packagers in the country. They're reporting this week. What do you say? Buy, sell, or hold. Active Evergreen. Oh, man, that's a gun to my head. I can't do that as much as I'd like. And I happen to love the packaging business. And we've seen some really good numbers from a bunch of the packaging companies. I can't do that. I don't know it well enough. Let's go to Steve in Texas. Steve. Hey, Jim. Um, great show. Um, how's it going? It's going well, Steve. How about you? Excellent. Great talking to you, actually. Um, what's your opinion on Anheuser-Busch? You know, I've looked at it time and time again, and I keep coming back to thinking that Constellation Brands has better cash flow, more opportunities, and has a wine business that it could sell. Uh, that's why the trust owns that. Bill Newlands is going to be faithful to shareholders, and they have someone from Elliott Management on the board. I like that one. Let's go to George in California. George. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. This is George in Sacktown. Love it. What's up? I have, I have Soundhound AI. S-O-U-N. Well, that's just an NVIDIA play. NVIDIA mentioned it. NVIDIA, whatever they mentioned. I think Getty, Getty Pictures is my next one because that's mentioned by NVIDIA. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. When a market gets too speculative, you'll see these gigantic single-day runs in individual stocks. Like what happened to Viking Therapeutics today? These guys announced that their clinical stage GLP-1 weight loss drug could work even better than the fully approved ones from Eli Lilly and Nova Nordisk. The excitement from this trial data sent the stock to the stratosphere. Caterpillar only from $38 to $85, up 121% for the day. Look, if you already owned it, guess what? You just hit the jackpot. 
you know that now because they filed an offering for $350 million tonight post-jackpot. They'll probably raise a lot more than that, though. When you've hit the jackpot on a speculative stock, you need to take your money and walk away. At the very least, sell half the position so that you're purely playing with the house's money. That's a terrific place to be. It's especially true for Viking Therapeutics because when you do the homework, when you see what they have, their drug doesn't actually seem to rival Lilly's. Not in terms of time to market, not even in terms of weight loss if you're using Apple to Apple's comparisons. If you believe today's headlines, Vikings beating Eli Lilly because their phase two data showed that the Viking candidate led to more weight loss than you get from Lujaro, the drug Lilly currently has in the market. But that's the wrong comparison. You think Lilly isn't working on their own improved GOP-1 drugs right now? Of course they are. In fact, they've got a drug in phase three trials that perform similarly to Vikings compound that's in only phase two. Plus, in these situations, guess what? A tie actually goes to the incumbent. We often find these situations where a no-name pharma alpha comes up against a household-name pharmaceutical company like Lilly. And let's just say the regulators, they kind of treat them a little differently. Lilly and Nova and Nordisk already have the GOP-1s in the market, so there's no particular urgency when it comes to improving an extremely similar product from some company they may never heard of. I'm not saying they block something like this, but like it or not, it gets held to a higher standard and the approval process tends to take longer. More important, Vikings data is from a phase two trial, not phase three, so it could still be years away from commercialization. Even if it got approved tomorrow, though, they don't have the ability to manufacture the drug at scale. Maybe Viking could find a deep pocket partner, but even then they'd struggle to make a real dent in Lilly's sales, purely because they lack the production capacity. Hence why we keep sticking with Lilly for the charitable trust. The $350 million or more shares that they could sell, file to sell and get tomorrow could allow the stock to go higher, as people might have thought that they would even do a bigger offering. But it won't get them to the finish line on this drug. And that's why, once again, you need to ring the register on Viking here, especially if you bought it when I profiled it as a homework assignment just last May. We said it was time for a great speculative stock. But that was when the stock was lower, much lower. Since then, it's up 267%. But really, you don't want to be the third or fourth drug to get into a particular business. As chief spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, I'm an acute sufferer from migraine. I take a once-in-a-month injection called Amavig that's made by Amgen. The FDA blessed that first. And then it also approved two other drugs that were similar, one by Lilly and one by Teva, major companies. My doctor kept me on Amgen's drug because it worked, a typical experience. You don't change to a new one if the old one works because it's too risky. But think of it like this. Teva, Novo Nordisk, Amgen, and Eli Lilly are all companies that know the game and play by the rules. They do gigantic phase three studies, the kind that await Viking if it wants to get its weight loss drug approved. Those clinical trials cost a fortune. A huge percentage of them fail. So again, a phase two study by a no-name pharmaceutical company that's slightly better on weight loss from the current standard, but basically on par with what Louis got in the pipeline? Consider yourself lucky. Today you hit the Powerball winner. Don't stick around too long and give those gains back, even if tomorrow's offering is successful. I like to say there's always a more market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant 
warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.